Hi, m i n a s a n Konnichiwa, and welcome to the Board Game Dojo. My name is Eric. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Whether this is your first time joining us or you listen to every episode or somewhere in between, it means the world to us that you took the time out of your day to click on our little podcast. Today, we are joined by our first repeat customer, repeat guest, as you were. It is Sam from the Board Game Duel podcast, who are just celebrating their two year anniversary. Sam, welcome back to the show and congratulations on such an important milestone. Bonjour. Thank you. Yeah, it's、um, it, time just flies by. And it's like yesterday we, we just started, and now and it's、I、been、know. two years. Yeah, is I know that I, I asked you this on the podcast、uh, when you asked for questions, but now I'm interested in knowing about it for our、uh, audience here who might be interested in your show. Do you have a favorite、uh, podcast episode that you've done in your two years?、Um, I would have to say、uh, we did a topic one.、Uh, it was about like、uh, teaching games, like giving tips. On how we approach the teach and what you can do to make the experience better, and to just tip of the hat to every board game teachers、uh, in their group. Like, just like, tell, like just say, tell them, like, you're doing a great job. That's a, I think it's an underappreciated thing in, in our hobby. And、um, we, we just wanted to, to give our tips to, for people to, To be better at it. That sounds like a really good topic. I know that it's it's definitely, like you said, an underappreciated art form almost because it's the first、uh, it's the first impression that a lot of people have of the game that's going to be on the table is, you know, can you make an intimidating game a little less intimidating? And can you make it seem fun? Can your sales pitch of why to play this piece of cardboard that is in front of you is it good? Yeah. So I will、definitely. post.、Um, yeah. So I'll post the. And sorry if、uh, during the recording of this episode, there's a little bit of overlap.、Um, if one of us talk over the other, I, it's all on me. My internet is not the greatest. So there's a bit of lag. So if you hear us sometimes talking over each other, it's not that we're rude. I mean, I am, but maybe Sam is not. But it's, it's not from that. It's just it's the internet problem.、Uh, but we are going to be doing our best. And I will post a link to that episode. In the show notes, if you are interested in following up on that. But Sam, you approached me on,、uh, with a really interesting perspective on, I think, what is a commonly talked about topic. So, do you want to introduce to the audience what we are going to be talking about today? Because I think this is going to be a really interesting top 10 list that we are going to do together. Yeah, I was thinking about doing a top 10, but didn't want to do like Any of the classic ones that we see all the time. And one thing that I realized、uh, over the years is that for my favorite s games, there's always a lot of asymmetry between like、uh, factions or characters or t h i n g you can choose at the beginning of a game. So I thought maybe we could do a top 10 of our, not our favorite games with asymmetry, but our favorite factions or characters from those games. Yeah, and I was so intrigued. And I think this is such a good one to have you on the show for because that asymmetric games are definitely one of the biggest gaps in my plays. So I'm super interested to hear your list and see if we overlap, at least on game, if not the faction as well. But how did you 
rank your top 10? Is it the most fun to play? Is it the most intriguing, uh, the most different? How did you determine the rank of your top 10? Uh, it's a mix of the most different from the rest of the game and the most fun I have with said game. So it's not necessarily my 10 favorite games of the genre, but like my favorite factions that stand out from those games. Uh, and that's such an important point that I meant to bring up earlier. Yeah, this this ranking is not going to be the top 10 best asymmetric games at all. And this isn't even going to be the top 10, you know, like the best faction in each of these games. It's just going to be our favorites or like you said, the most different or most intriguing, whatever it might be. So yeah, most without, fun to play for me. Yeah, maybe not for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, same for me. I think I, I honestly think my number one might make some people mad. <laughs> That's not even just a tease. Like I seriously, when I was putting together my top 10 and I ended up on my number one, I'm like, am I going to am I going to seriously put it? Is this where my podcast ends? <laughs> I'm not going to make it to two years like Sam, but let's get it going then. And why don't you start us off with your number 10? Yes. So my number 10 comes from my favorite game of all time which is Guards of Atlantis 2. Uh, for those of you who don't know this game, it's a MOBA game in a box. So MOBAs are um, usually video games. Uh, it stands for Multiplayer Online Battle Arena. So you have uh, two different teams. Players are split in two teams and they will battle each other to try to uh, conquer the enemy throne. And just like in the video games, everybody will have... a specific character with unique powers and everything and uh, my 10th favorite faction or character would be uh, Tali uh, okay. she's uh, one of the most complex uh, heroes uh, in the box she comes from an expansion and why I picked her is uh, because one of her cards really um, forces you to work together with your team uh, because uh, the way the the game works is we each select uh, a card uh, at the same time and then we reveal and then we uh, act on initiative kind of like in the, what you would see in Gloomhaven for example and one of okay. our cards just says uh, the closest teammate to you picks a color and then you can either discard a card of that color and use its effect or uh, heal like uh, take back a discarded card of that color to your hand so you can kind of tell uh, your teammates hey I want to play that card uh, uh, with my uh, special power but if you do that the other team will like know that it's coming so sometimes you just need to trust your teammate to do the right thing and uh, just name the the right color that you you think is the best but maybe they won't think it's the the, the best thing for them might not be the same best thing for you you know yeah that's always the team dynamic right yeah exactly and it's it's not a character for everybody i know like some people just aid the pressure of like telling your teammate what to do and to to pick the the right thing you know uh, but uh, when it sings it's really it really sings and it can do like a lot of damage because that card is like super powered super like 
the usually the the cars with the most devastating effects will be slow but with this card you can do them faster but you just need to to trust your teammate to to pick that right card at the right time you know yeah and i think that point that you mentioned is such a good um it's some probably something that we're going to be repeating a lot today is that with these games that have so many asymmetric powers and asymmetric factions so much of it is all about your individual playstyle and the character that you like the best is probably the one that matches your playstyle the best. And so it's Definitely. nice with a game like Guards of Atlantis 2 that has so many characters in the boxes. And some, I think, will argue that there's too much in the most recent Kickstarter. But, you know, there's something <laughs> out there for everyone to enjoy this game. Definitely. Yeah, I'm so I'm so pumped for the Kickstarter. And it's mostly from you. I'm not going to lie. You have me hyped. You've <laughs> hyped this game more than anybody that I've talked to. And it's I backed the Kickstarter because of you. Oh, you did? I did. I traded into nice. it, actually, which is something that I'll have to talk about on like a future podcast episode. It's one of my favorite things to do is to trade a physical game right now for somebody's pledge that they don't want anymore. Wow. You need to to trust them. Yeah, they. Uh, I mean, I make them like put it under my name. Yeah, it's, it's, we'll, we'll talk about it on, on a future episode. But that's a good number 10. It's a good way to start off as Guardians of Atlantis 2. I was wondering how long it was going to take you to put something from that game on there and i guess it didn't take very long yeah and it might not be the last time we talk about this game Ooh, well yeah i have some repeat games here too so let's start <laughs> off with my number 10 and my number 10 is probably um i wanted to put it on here mostly because of bias like it's definitely the the least i think um unique of anything that i'm going to talk about today but I did want to put on it just because I like the game. I like the faction. I like the video game that it is based off of. Um, and this is Civilization, A New Dawn is the mm. game. And of course, you have to have the expansion. Seriously, I cannot emphasize enough how much you need the expansion for this game in order to actually have the full Civilization experience, uh, which is based off of Civ Six. Yeah. So, the, so the Civ Six uh, is um, the art is the same. So if you don't like the cartoony art from Civ 6, you're not going to like this art. But what country do you think I'm going to pick for this? Is it the country you're currently in? Um, No, but it is basically the Board Game Dojo's brand at this point, I'm pretty sure. Ah, of course, Japan. Yeah, Japan is my favorite faction both in Civ 6 and in this game. Because Japan is such a good entry point into exploring the systems that this game offers. So Civilization A New Dawn is, I don't want to say like the newest iteration of the Civ game, but it is definitely unique in the way that you choose your actions. Because you will have a, in front of you on the board, and it depends on if you have the expansion or not, but... If you've ever played Arc Nova, Arc Nova borrowed this system from Civilization A New Dawn, and I'm not sure if this was the original, where the more to the right in the card row that you pick that action, the stronger that action is. And then when you pick that action, it goes all the way back to the beginning of the row, and it is now the weakest action. So it's like one to five, and five is the strongest action. So then you just move everything over in the row. And Japan, it's... Like on these actions, there is a number over it. 
and how difficult it is to do that action or like based on the terrain is the higher it is, the harder it is to do. The harder it is to like build there. And what Japan is able to do is turn desert and mountain spaces that are adjacent to water or the edge of the map as having a terrain difficulty of three instead of four and five. So it makes it easier to do things on your turn. And when I have people play this game, I usually have Japan be one of the first ones that I say, okay, you know what would be good for your first or second game? Play Japan. And, you know, it's it's nice to be able to say, hey, you should play as Japan for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. But like I said, this is probably the, <laughs> the weakest one that I have on the list just because I think a lot of factions are fun. Um, Japan, because it's so pretty decent, if not good or great at everything, it, some people will say it's a bit vanilla. And I swear I will make it up on the other nine of the list because the other nine are definitely not going to be the vanilla choices for some of these games. <laughs> yeah, I really like this game. Uh, I didn't pick it because uh, I think the factions aren't that different from each other. Usually it's like one little thing that you do better than the others. Yep. But um, it's it's a great game, though. Yeah, I just wanted to shoo in that you can pick Japan in one of these games, you know? <laughs> All right, what's your enough. number nine? My number nine is from a very popular game. I'm sure many people people listening will have heard of it. It's uh, Root. And my favorite faction from that game comes from an expansion. It's the uh, Corvids, so the kind of... Uh, spy network of ravens oh. and crows uh, so what oh. you're going to do is going to be uh, all over the map and you can place uh, tokens face down on in some clearings and then uh, during others people turn they can kind of try to guess what this is and if they guess it right uh, the token will be removed without effect and if they guess wrong then it will trigger and they might be in trouble and like we discussed when we did our uh, top 10 of uh, two-player games, I really like the the mind games and the bluffing that comes from uh, those kind of system where you put something face down and you look you, the opponent in the eyes and try to lie to them or tell them the truth and they have to to decipher your uh, your poker face and they need to read you to to be able to to play efficiently and i really like those kind of uh bluff and mind games and uh, i think this faction does it pretty well that's it's Are really you... interesting to hear you say that that's your favorite because generally this is considered one of if not the weakest faction in root do you agree with that or is this your specialty faction uh i don't think i've played the game enough to to have an opinion on who's stronger and who's weaker uh, i don't hone it i just play it like from times to times uh casually so i don't mind having like a so-called weaker faction that's a good way to be honest honestly like when you can just enjoy the game as it is i think it is really cool when you can play it at that professional level like i know some people do at this point and then it's like you get into those tier rankings Right. But mm -hmm. yeah, the, the Corvid ones are, I haven't gotten to play as them, but I have played against them. And it was, oh my gosh, so stressful. 
but we'll definitely hear about Root later as well. My number nine is probably one of the most famous asymmetric games of all time. It is now in its fourth edition. Um, It is a huge box and probably most notorious for taking all day to play. This is Twilight Imperium, and I am picking the Universities of Jolnar. I hope that's how you pronounce it as the faction. It, It comes down to one thing, and that is tech. I love in these kind of games being able to upgrade and just have the coolest stuff out of anyone. And that is the specialty of the universities of Joel Nar. You will be able to maybe have more tech than everybody else. And if not have more tech than everybody else, then you're going to be able to have the best tech of anyone else because you get to basically ignore one of the prerequisites that it takes to uh, research one of these texts. And so for me, it makes this long game, and it, it, is, is, it is long, whether you enjoy it or not, you have to admit that it is pretty long. And it makes it all the more interesting when you're constantly looking forward to what is the next cool upgrade that you can do. What is, what is just something interesting or I, I keep saying the word, but what is something cool that you can do on your turn that that really shifts this space opera? And I do want to give an honorable mention to the Ghosts of Chris, which is the only faction I've ever won with in this game, which is just kind of like space portals, wormholes, and going around everybody. But I just wanted to say Universities of Jolnar, cool because of tech. Have you done Twilight Imperium? Only once. And I it was like uh, with some friends that were playing like all the time. So they crushed me and like, Midway through the game, I had no chance of winning, but it was still hours to go. Oh, no. So I, I didn't really appreciate it, but uh, I might be willing to give it another try sometimes, but probably not. Yeah, it's not something I think it's you just, need to force. I don't think it's, I don't even know where it is on the BGG rank. It's not that good, I don't think. What were you saying? Uh, it's just such a big commitment, you know? Mm-hmm. definitely and it can and you'll have that those games like you just said where you know that you're done two or three hours into it and you know you have three or four hours left all right so what's your number eight my number eight is from one of my i would say one of my favorite games but i, I had a hard time like picking a favorite character from it um and the game is marvel champions the living card game uh, so it's a card game where you uh, will pick a hero that you will play as, and uh, you can play solo, you can play with friends, and like make a team of four heroes, and you pick a villain and a scenario, and you just go at it. And you will uh, uh, play cards and alternate between your alter ego form and your your superhero form, and uh, it, your thwarting the the villain scheme and trying to to fight them and my favorite character uh to play so far has been uh, i haven't tried them all because there are so many and i i i cannot mm-hmm. keep up with everything but I, I just enjoy for what i have 
And my favorite so far has been uh, Spider-Man, but the Miles Morales version. Oh, interesting. Because he has like, uh, each hero will have like a, a special ability that they can do every round, basically, when they are in hero form. But uh, Miles or Spider-Man doesn't have this one for free, like to his ability is like super strong, but you have to play a card from your hand to trigger it. So you kind of have to plan around that and um, it gets uh, stronger if you can set it up properly by like uh, putting status on villains and stuff like that. So it requires a, a little bit more work, but when it does, it it really hits. So you feel like as powerful as a superhero, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, I kind of like that play style of like some uh, smaller turns, but then bigger ones after that. And you you have to kind of go with the flow. Okay. But there are like so many characters to pick from. It was hard for me to to pick one that I like more than the others. Jean Grey has been a lot of fun. Um, uh, the old Spider-Man, uh, Peter Parker, is also very good. Colossus from the... X-Men box there there's so many of them like uh, it's hard to pick a favorite have you played that I'm not one? I, I was actually just gonna ask like I'm not sure if I asked you this the last time we chatted on our top 10 two-player games but is it something where if I'm not extremely into superheroes I mean I, I like them well enough but I'm not extremely into them can I still appreciate and like this game I think so you'll appreciate more if you if you're a fan but like Kind of everybody knows who Spider-Man is and what what his powers are. So you can appreciate that the thematic element they tried to integrate with each of them. So if you know the, the character you're playing, I think you, you'll have a good time. So, for example, Iron Man, you need to kind of build up uh, his armor before he, he becomes strong. So he starts weak, but at the end of the game, he's really strong because you built a lot of cars that will kind of stay on the table and make you better yeah i'll definitely give that a shot i haven't done it yet and i think a little bit about it too is just like the knowing of myself that if i buy a pack or two i will want them all mm -hmm. yeah so i'm like ooh, do i really want to go into that rabbit hole mm -hmm. yeah i i haven't i didn't try it when it came out i waited for like two or three years before getting into it and like i i found the core game uh, used on sale and it was like very cheap already sleeved i was like ah at that price i might as well try it and now I oh, that's the way to do buying. it yeah but then I, I bought a lot of expansions and other packs so it was cheap at first <laughs> but now it's been a bit more expensive but at least I, i'm spending a lot of time on it i think i i have like 50 or 60 plays in the last year Oh wow! Well, then it was well worth it. Then I would I would have to imagine when you're when you're getting that many plays out of it, like it's hard to argue that. All right, and I think I'm going to go on to my number eight. And it's interesting that you uh, mentioned villains because my number eight is has to do with villains as well. And this is where I kind of want to emphasize that these are not the best ten asymmetric games that are out there. In fact, the problem that I have with this game is that some of the characters are fun are quite fun and others are awful they really don't care very much about balancing these characters either um but 
You don't have to when you have the license for Disney. And this is Disney's Villainous as the game. And the character is Dr. I think it's Facilier. Uh, it's the voodoo doctor from Princess and the Frog. Um, Disney Villainous is mm. a game in which you are controlling one of Disney's villains. So basically... Each villain has a different win condition, and you're going to be playing a different game with each one. And the heroes from those movies are going to be drawn by your opponents to try to foil your plot. There are certain things that this game kind of leans into. Mostly, I don't know if it's because it's easier or it's um, maybe easier to get into, easier to understand. There's lots of take that that happens in this game, but... Dr. Facilier is an interesting character because it leans into the game's insistence of finding the right card, finding the cards that you want. And it works so well with this character because you are going to be putting cards into the fortune pile, which goes with the character. And some of them are going to work really, really well for you. They're going to bring you closer to winning your win condition because you need to rule new orleans and i hope that saying new orleans like that doesn't like make your french language part of yourself like cringe i'm very sorry but <laughs> um but then you have to play certain cards and so you're constantly cycling through this deck constantly cycling through this fortune pile which means that you're going to get the good stuff but you're also going to get a lot of cards that hurt you and i think because it works so well with his character. It makes some of the design choices that they've made through this game, it makes it seem more like a feature than a bug. Because some of the characters that are in this box and in its multiple expansions, you're like, oh my goodness, this is either not very thematic or it just makes the game not fun because it's just tedious. It would be tedious if I were to just tell you, Sam, hey, you're going to spend most of the game cycling through this deck and just trying to find two or three cards that you want so that you win the game. If I told you just that, it sounds boring. But when I tell you, oh, it's in a fortune pile, you're going to be putting certain things and certain things are curses and certain things are going to help you because you've uh, convinced the, the voodoo gods to help you for this turn in the next turn then it's more thematic if that makes sense so i think when i'm introducing people to this game i'm definitely bringing dr facilier out as a possible choice because of what i said it makes the mechanics seem more like a feature than a bug mm -hmm. have you played this one i haven't yeah i know a lot of them are like target exclusives in the u.s or at least like some of the cool boxes are Especially mm. the expansions. Yeah, so I don't know if those are available here in Canada. Yeah. I I always warn people, though, is this game is good, but I cannot rate it above like a 6.5 because of what I said earlier, where some of the characters are really fun and some of the characters are awful. And when you play <laughs> like two players, you have to literally look online to make sure that the matchup works. Because you might if you have two yeah. characters that have the same win condition then neither one of you are going to win. Oh, wow. Maybe in yeah. a couple of years, my, when my son is older, I I will be uh, looking into that to, to play with him, though. Yeah, it's, it, it at least is pretty... It's a pretty good production. I, w I will definitely give it that. All right, so what is your number seven? I think we're on seven. 
Yeah, we are. And uh, it's a good transition because my number seven is also a villain, but not from a villainous game, but from um, Sight and specifically from the Rise of Fenris expansion. So uh, if you're a spoiler avert and you haven't uh, played the campaign yet, uh, maybe skip this one. Uh, but my favorite faction is the the Fenris one, so the the bad guys in the campaign. Uh, and at some point, you're uh, kind of offered a choice to to become them. Uh, and I did in, in our playthrough of it. And uh, we have like these very big and tall mechs that looks very intimidating. And your character is a uh, Rasputin, and you like uh, what this end like uh doesn't token all over the place so you're kind of like uh fomenting rebellions with the the little people and everything and uh it's a it's a really uh fun faction to play and it it looks intimidating but i actually i believe it's considered to be one of the the weakest one uh, oh really game. yeah because they're uh for those of you who've played Sight, uh, most faction will have like ways to uh, uh, go over rivers and move faster. You can kind of uh, upgrade your speed so you can move two X's uh, when you activate a, a mech. Uh, and the Fenris one can do that, but they kind of like jump over, but they only do that in a straight line. So you cannot like uh move in a curved way you have to go two straights but you can like jump over a lake or a river or a trap from another faction or uh, even jump over mechs and don't like start up fight and go in the the hex behind them so it mm. kind of looks really cool but it's it requires a bit more of planning because you yes you can move far but only in a restricted way so if you if there's a place you really need to go you kind of have to to do it in multiple turns sometimes you cannot just run uh, directly there you know Mm -hmm. interesting i haven't even broken out my copy of side yet i feel like it's one of the biggest um like voids where it's like every, everybody either has a really strong opinion on side, it seems like. And yeah, I'm just like, I've never I, played I, it. I happen to like it a lot. It looks like a big troops on a map game with lots of fighting, but it it's not. It's mostly in Tableau Builder and Efficiency Puzzle, and there's a bit of fighting with that. But like from the covered art, you wouldn't know. It looks like a war game or something like that, but it, it's really not. Hmm. Well, some some expectations differing from reality is actually a really good transition into my next game because my next game was advertised as a game that was all about negotiation. You know, it was going to be part of the Eric Lang trilogy and it was going to be all about negotiation. Do you know which game this is going to be? Rising Sun. Yeah, it's all about Rising Sun. It's not really all about negotiation. But my favorite clan <laughs> for this one is the Sun Clan. It is really because it captures the essence of the game while also kind of flipping everything you think about these kind of troops on a map game on its head. Because what the Sun Clan does 
is it steals money and victory points each time you win a tie by honor against an opponent. So yeah, you're not exactly trying to win every time. You're trying to guess what your opponent is going to do and tie them. So it means mm-hmm. that you are not only needing to stay in the fight that is going to happen throughout the game of staying on top of the honor track, because there are lots of things that people are going to fight for, including the kami that get them to the top of the honor track. But then you need to make sure you have as many opportunities to tie people as possible. So, oh, you're worshiping gods? Well, (laughs) it turns out I'm going to be trying to do that too. You want to battle? I want to battle. I want to battle everybody as many times as possible in any certain way so that I can tie them and steal a coin and a victory point. Because stealing one victory point and one coin doesn't sound like a lot. But if you're good at it and you get experience with this faction, which you're doing these where you can steal five, six, seven, eight throughout the game, that can shift the game. So I just think it is a really interesting faction. I believe it is one of the expansion clans, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's Sun and Moon are part of one of the expansions. Um, But I think it's pretty fun once you've played kind of the base game a few times to try out the Sun Clan and see how you like it. Yeah, I think I've played against them a couple of times, but never as them. It is just a completely different mindset of going into it, of I win by tying a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Which is just a different way of thinking about things. Definitely, and uh, I'm sure it's very interesting to to play them. Yeah, and that's why they, they were my pick here. So what is your next pick? My number six is from a game that delivered on... Uh, their promises and is about negotiation and it used to be one of it used to be my favorite game for a long time uh, it's a, a game of thrones the board game so based on the the books not mm-hmm. the tv show because it came before the tv show even and uh, my favorite faction is actually from the latest expansion that came out a couple of years ago uh, mother of dragons and it's the targaryens uh, mm. because in the base game, you have some asymmetry with the, the cards that represent kind of like your generals for your army and they, they each will uh, have a different ability uh, when you use them during a battle. But the Targaryens takes the this asymmetry and um, pushes it up a notch. It really becomes kind of a one versus all game. Because you start on the other side of the map, you you had like a, a second board to the game. It's the continent of Essos. Uh, if you're familiar with the the IP, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So so you start on a different board than everybody else, and um, you have three dragons, uh, and they start out like really weak. They because they're just babies that just hatch basically, but every uh, at the end of every uh, even round, so after round two, four, six, uh, they will uh, grow and become more powerful. So each dragon is worth zero uh, at the beginning of the game, but they can be worth five at the end. And they can fly. So they can when they, they move to attack, they, they can go anywhere on the board. Mm. But if they are killed, you you cannot like 
respond them well there's a one way to maybe respond one if you have like enough resource when one of the card come out in the westeros deck so once in the game you might be able to respond one so they're really precious to you and everybody wants to kill them because if, <laughs> if they let you go you will become too strong and you will be unstoppable so they they have to to kill them before they grow and become too strong but like if three or four players make an alliance to to fight you maybe you can offer something else to one of the other players so that they they back you instead and there's this game is really about negotiations and breaking alliance just at the right time and because of the order system where you can support one side or or another when there's a battle near you and and this faction is really cool because it, it's really different and you there's one resource in the game that is power tokens that you can use to bid when there's a there's like three tracks that you want to be on top of uh because they give you uh bonuses and like one of them makes you stronger in battle one of them lets you use uh, better orders and stuff like that but the Targaryens are always last on all of those three. But they can use their power tokens to... They can bid and they can give them to someone else when there's a bidding. So when you when there's a bidding, you can offer to help someone in exchange for something else. And of course, it's Game of Thrones, so maybe they won't do it and they'll backstab you. But still, you can try to <laughs> make promises that won't be held. For sure. <laughs> I think you sold me on it. I had no interest of playing this game until now. And now I'm like, I think I specifically want to play the Targaryen. Mm -hmm. Well, like with Twilight Imperium, it's a, it's a big commitment. It takes a lot of times and the Targaryens don't make it, uh, don't make the playtime shorter for sure. But uh, it's a lot of fun. Last year we did like a full uh, game with the full player count. We were eight people. And it, it took us all day, but man, what a day. <laughs> what what and is the I average want... length of this game? Um I would say three to four hours when okay. people know what they're doing. And maybe longer if you have more people. But it really depends. There are other expansions that actually make it shorter, but you have to mm -hmm. play like at specifically four or six players. And you cannot have the Targaryens with those. Oh, okay. Okay. At least not officially. I think uh, there are some variants on BGG that uh, try to like adapt the scenario with the Targaryens, but it's not like uh, officially licensed. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I think I, I'm. I'm interested in this, and you know, we can talk for days about the the TV show. Um, <laughs> And whether or not the Targaryens were, uh, you know, done wrong by some of the writers. But let's let's you know let's move on before we get into that conversation. Um, <laughs> that's for a different podcast. That's yeah. This the spinoff. It's the TV show dojo. It's a little bit different. <laughs> um, all right. So this next game, I would be absolutely shocked. I think I would bet the farm that this game, at least, is going to end up on your list somewhere. Because my next game is Spirit Island, mm. which is my favorite solo game. And if I'm with the right people, my favorite co-op game. Um, 
and it is this is not going to be the only time that this game ends up on the list but i love this spirit because it is absolutely bonkers because spirit island is all about protecting the land so what if i told you that there is a spirit that destroys the land to protect it basically and it's just kind of like the lore when you when you read about it is all about that it is an angry child essentially and this is heart <laughs> of the wildfire it is an extremely offensive spirit um and it has been changed it used to be a moderate complexity spirit and now it's a high complexity spirit but essentially in order to do the best with heart of the wildfire you are going to light the island ablaze so that you can put blight which is something you don't want on the island because then it allows it to do powers some of its better powers and play the first time i played the spirit i'm like i'm sorry i had to reread it like three times like i'm sorry what am i doing <laughs> with this the whole and it's just really i think the lore mixed with just the mythology of there were gods and so many mythologies that were all about protecting the people with which heart of the wildfire does it, it it like loves the the hunt and oftentimes it was one of the only ones that um constantly protected the dahan when other ones abandoned it it says in the lore but it does it by basically exterminating out part of the land basically like almost cleansing the land in a way and mm -hmm. then healing it and I don't know. There maybe it's just the part of like the biology background as well that was like, yeah, that happens so often of like the natural wildfires that happen. I just think it's such a cool concept for a spirit to play, and they just kind of feel badass doing it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, spirit Island is also one of my probably my favorite solo game and one of my favorite co-ops. And uh, I did. Um, we did an episode recently on uh, Nature Incarnate. And so I did a, like my top five uh, spirits from all the expansions and base game. And uh, Heartfire was uh, was on it. I think it was number four or something like that. It's, it's so fun. And uh, I just, I yeah. love that spirit. It's one you of the can, craziest ones. Yeah, you can like destroy cities just by adding presence. Yeah. Hello, I am here. I am the fire. Because isn't isn't the heart of the wildfire? It's like the sun of the volcano, right? Uh, yeah, maybe. I I am not like uh, super uh knowledge of the the lore, but I, I love it. I love that like it's all there, and like you can read it if you want, and you can ignore it if you want. But it's such a deep and like uh a live world yeah there's so much team that emerged just from the gameplay of the powers you choose now you use them like there's there's a story told every game yeah and sometimes even when you lose you're like yeah honestly deserved that <laughs> yeah it says it's the child of volcano looming high and uh a spread of rampant green oh yeah that makes sense Okay, so let's move on. We are into the top five now. 
Yeah, my number five also kind of likes fire, but um, when it's on their enemies, I would say. Uh, it's from the game uh, Imperium Classic. Uh, so it's a deck building game with a civilization team. And uh, at the beginning of the game, you choose your civilization and uh, you will have like uh, a unique deck, a uh, unique uh, rules for you sometimes keywords and everything and uh mine is the the vikings so yeah. the way the game works is um whenever you uh need to reshuffle your discard pile to to draw a new card because your draw draw deck is empty you will uh develop so there's development cards that are set aside at the beginning of the game and whenever you you do that you will take one of those cards and add it to your deck. So the quicker you, you're you able to cycle your deck, uh, the quicker you will develop. And the way the game works is usually uh, you start as a barbaric uh, nation. And when you have developed enough, you become an empire. And so when that happens, some cards you cannot play anymore, but some cards that you could not play before are now uh, an option. Uh, mm. But the Vikings are different. They can never become an empire. They are always uh, barbaric. Uh, so Ooh. there, there's some trade-offs involved with that. Uh, it's good because you you kind of always keep your uh, your starting cards, uh, but you have like you're limited on what cards you can buy from uh, the shared market. But uh, another uh, mechanic that is cool in that game is that some cards are like super powerful, but they're like uh, one event or one person in particular. And usually like they arrive, they do, you do what the card says. It's like a super strong effect. And then it goes into your history. So it might score you points at the end of the game, but you cannot use it more than once. Hmm. Because that's how, like, it happened in real life. Like, this guy lived for a couple of years, he did some great things, and now he's dead. He's not going to come back every uh, <laughs> every time you shuffle your deck, right? There's no but reincarnation the rule? No. Except if you're the Vikings, because they don't have a history. They don't have a written history. So every time a, an effect will would tell you to put the card in your history, you put it in your discard pile instead. And then it can come back and do its thing again. Wow. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun to play. And like the game is like really heavy. It was done by uh, David Turtse. Mm. So, but it's heavy for a deck builder, I would say. But when you, once you you've learned the rules, which is... Not that easy because the, the rule book isn't as good as uh, I would like to. But once you know it and you, it, it flows well, like, uh, and it's easy, to, at least in the rule book, it's easy to find all the keywords and everything and to, to kind of see what they do. It's just that learning the turn structure is kind of a, of a pain. But once you know it, you know it and you're good to go. And there's like, Two different box with uh eight different faction each and they all play like really differently from each other and my favorite so far has been the vikings because 
the fact that you never become an empire is like such a big shift from the the rest of the the group that's like a couple of the things that i've heard about this game is that the rule book is a bit of a bear but also mm -hmm. it does such a good job unlike civilization a new dawn that we talked about earlier of every single faction plays extremely differently yeah and and, and that's why the rule book is so like hard to read because you read a rule and it's like there's this rule except if you have the purse or if you have the uh, greeks or whatever then you do this instead and you have that for like every single rule every single rule as a faction that breaks it basically and it's the same rule book for the two boxes which is cool because they're they're like compatible with each other you can mix and match and everything but like it it makes learning it more of a barrier unfortunately Hmm. Yeah, I I had both of them, and then I sold both of them, and then I bought classics again, and then I sold it again. So I don't know what that says about me. Maybe I just don't like rule books, but I definitely need to <laughs> give this one a go because I like civilization games and I like deck building games. So hopefully, I put the two together, and I like the civilization deck building game. Mm -hmm. But and it works great solo too. I have heard that. I have heard that. Yeah, for me, but, it's only a solo or two-player games. Like, with more than two, it uh, becomes, like, there's too too much downtime. That's good to know. That's good to know. But going from, like you said, famous people that you're going to be using, uh, my game is all about two really famous people. That's right, you uh, come for the top ten list, stay for the good segues between our games. Um, <laughs> but my game is Watergate. And... This is maybe not what you think about when you think of asymmetric games, but you are essentially playing with the same set of rules, but going about it in two different ways. So Watergate is a kind of, I don't want to say simulation because that's the wrong word, but kind of a hand management simulation of the Watergate scandal in which Richard Nixon, um, it's a, it's a long story of American history, but was found to have known about and covered up spying on the Democratic National uh, Headquarters and in the Watergate Hotel. Um, and both sides are going about their own business. So you have the newspaper side that is trying to uncover the conspiracy. And then you have Nixon trying to cover up the conspiracy of the Watergate scandal. And so I think that Nixon feels so incredibly thematic that I had to put this on this list because you feel kind of like the bad guy the whole time. You're like, I have a presidency to win. I have an election and a campaign to run. Look at how good I'm doing. And I'm also going to silence anybody that could possibly whistleblow on me. And so you really are starting the game into somewhat of an advantage because there's multiple ways for Nixon to win. They can win momentum in each round five times, and then they win. Or they can simply cut off all of the possible ways for the newspaper to um, connect the dots. It's kind of this um, one of those like red string conspiracy boards, and if the newspaper can connect two of them, then they win with uh, informants. And so you're trying to silence the informants. 
And so if you can basically make it until your campaign, you're winning. And it just feels so tense, especially as you get to the later rounds of the newspaper is so close to being able to uncover the conspiracy. Can you just hold them off a little bit? And you're playing these cards that are like, no, I have presidential power that I can stop this momentum or I can stop what the newspaper is doing because I am the president of the United States. It just to me, every time I play as Nixon, I feel like the bad guy in this situation. And I think that it's really cool that it was able to pull it off with a what is pretty simple rule set. Mm hmm. Yeah, I love that game. It almost made my um, uh, two player list. If or did it make it? I don't remember. No, I don't think so. We both had it as an honorable mention, I believe. Yeah. So it was maybe number 11. Let's, yeah, it's, it's let's a, put it that way. <laughs> well, I guess it's kind of like Nick said, uh, close, but no cigar. <laughs> what is your number four? Yeah, uh, I don't have a great segue for it <laughs> because uh, my character is nothing like Nixon. Uh, it, it's Gandalf. That's a good uh, thing to not be like Nixon. Yeah, definitely. Um so yeah, it's Gandalf, the the wizard that we all know and love um, from the game uh, Journey, The Lord of the Rings: Journeys in Middle Earth, uh, which is uh, kind of like a dungeon crawling game, but unlike most of those kind of games, it's not all about combat. It's mostly about like the journey and exploration and um, interacting with the people and the nature and all kinds of stuff and i really love this game for the how the you can build your character because uh, the way the game works is every time you want to do uh, a specific action you need to test uh, a certain uh, skill so you will have like agility might uh, wisdom wits and stuff like that and uh, when you choose your character, it will tell you how many cards from your deck you're going to be flipping to. Uh, so if I, I am Gandalf and I do a wit test, I might flip four cards. But if I do a might test, I might flip only two because he's not like the, the strongest dude in Middle Heart. Right? Mm -hmm. And the way you build your deck is you will have like basic cards that everybody has. And then you will have... Uh, cards that are specific to your character but also cards that are specific to your class that you can pick so you can be Gandalf uh, but specifically my entry for this list would be Gandalf as a meddler so it's more like of a support class you uh, you will aid your allies uh, giving them inspiration which is kind of a, a, a resource that you can spend during your turn to uh basically boost your uh, your skill checks, more or less. And mm -hmm. uh, so you will be doing that. You will be uh, talking with people, kind of like uh, pulling the strings behind. Like you're this super powerful wizard, but you're not allowed to, to use your powers too much in a direct way. So you're, you're mostly like influencing the others around you to be better and to to go do the theoric deeds that they need to do. So I thought this was like really on brand with the, the Gandalf character from the, 
mostly from the books, but also from the movies. And um, I've been playing this game a lot recently. I, I've started like a second campaign of it. So uh, I played like uh, I had a week off and I played like uh, eight games in four days. Wow. Yeah, so uh, I'm almost done with the, the second campaign. Uh, and I'm a bit bummed because Gandalf isn't there anymore. But I had him in my first campaign and he was like, he's been my favorite to play for sure. He's not the strongest character, but he's the, the most fun. I was going to say, it sounds incredibly thematic. And one of the reasons I like talking to you so much, one of the many, many reasons, I assure you, uh, <laughs> is because you, you talk about games that are not even on my friends and my radar. Mm -hmm. really like i have not heard about this game while you're talking about this i'm literally looking it up and it's like man if not talking to you i would have never heard about this and now again you've kind of convinced me to try something have you played mention of madness i have not because the like mention of madness you need an app to play the game it's kind of the an iteration of that app and uh, i think it's the Definitely the better version, uh, like better IP for me, for sure. Uh, but also the, it's less intrusive. It just like does the busy work that you wouldn't want to do for you. And uh, it doesn't take away the attention from the board and uh, what you're doing. Okay. Yeah, I've kind of stayed away from Mansions of Madness, mostly because I'm so uninterested of the Cthulhu theme. I mean, I guess mm -hmm, it didn't yeah. stop me from... I was able to acquire Cthulhu Death May Die. But um, if there's a better theme out there than Cthulhu, I usually will pick that one. If there's a different theme, I should say. I'll usually mm -hmm. pick that one. Um, my number four is a game that you've already mentioned. Um, and it is actually my go-to faction when I play this game. It is Root. And my favorite faction to play is the Woodland Alliance. Um. I think it's mostly because I was able to win when I first started playing that I just like grew to like my little terrorists. <laughs> um, and one of my favorite things to learn about this game is like listening to Cole Worley talk about like how different factions are like somewhat um, reminiscent of different things without going as far to say that what they are. And it's like, mm, okay, we've got guerrilla warfare, which allows the Woodland Alliance to like always get the higher combat role um which again we, we uh, sorry i should i think i'm assuming that people know what root is but root is like a coin based game troop kind of troops on the map in a way sort of uh game of woodland war and every faction is extremely 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 asymmetric to the point that like everybody's playing with different mechanisms what the woodland alliance is is it's basically a terrorist group in which when people kill your units you get sympathy in that area because it's like the the big bad overlord overlords came and attacked us and so look spread sympathy to us and you're playing this hand management game while others are playing a programming game or somebody else is playing a more um traditional kind of troops on a map style game um the woodland alliance is playing this really interesting planning part where you're constantly trying to balance out okay how many cards should i maybe craft or how much should i spend on daytime actions but at the same time the wooden alliance needs to have those nighttime actions to start uh doing things like spreading their 
uh, sympathy and spreading their chaos, really, because that's who you are. You are a chaos agent in this game. If people do not stop the Woodland Alliance before they get to like, I would say, like, I think, what what is the burst score? I can't even remember. Is It's like 20 or something, right? 20 or 25 or 30? The win is 30. Yeah, to 30. Okay. If you can't stop the, I think I, I was playing Viticulture before we recorded and I'm pretty sure 20 is the Viticulture score. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you can't stop the Woodland Alliance before they get to like 15 or 20, you're you're done because they just cascade the end of the game Mm -hmm. and so i i love playing the woodland alliance just because i'm a constant nuisance to whatever anybody else is doing because you don't really want to spend your turn trying to deal with them so that is woodland alliance it is what is your opinion on the woodland alliance because i know a lot of people are are like are good with them, but some people are like, uh, after I've played them a couple times, I'm done. Uh, I, I think I've played them once, and it was actually my first game of Root, so I didn't really know what I was doing. But uh, it's been a while now, so I, I don't remember it all that much, but I think it was a positive experience because I went back to the game after that. So, um, But I think I've played more against them, and it's... Yeah, it's it's a cool playstyle of like just being the underdog, you know, until it snowballs and it's all of a sudden you're the this unstoppable force. Yeah, one of the things that makes them interesting is they're one of the few um, factions that start with no presence on the board. Like there is nothing that you start with. Mm-hmm. So it's you are literally building the grassroots movement up from nothing. So I thought it was just I thought it was just for um I think I think the type of clan that Cole Worley was going for, I thought it was really, really well done. And especially because you can get in the base box, it's like, oh yeah, definitely worth it. Yeah. Top three, top three, top three, top three. All right. The I wonder how much longer I'm gonna have to wait for Spirit Island on your list. If you don't end up with Spirit Island on the list, I'm gonna lose the farm. So <laughs> Well, you'll have to wait a little bit longer because my no, number three is from another uh, of my favorite games, um, Gloomhaven. So big campaign uh, with lots of different classes and they all do different stuff. They all have their unique deck of cards that will tell you what you can do on your turn. And each turn you have to pick two and you do the top action of one, the bottom action of the other. So... Uh, you have options on your turn, basically. And my favorite character is the Elementalist. And they have uh, several more options than the others because in Gloomhaven, for those of you who have played, you you might remember the kind of uh, mana system. Like you have uh, different types of elements like fire, ice, uh, air, earth, and light and dark and some abilities will let you uh, infuse those elements so they can become stronger and different abilities will uh, make you uh, spend them to make the ability better so you might do an attack but if you can spend fire it will do more damage or have more range or stuff like that 
target more people. And sometimes the enemies also will infuse and spend the element. So you might have spent your previous turn uh, infusing an element because you really needed to to really trigger the cool thing on your card. But then on the next turn, the, the enemy uh, plays before you and will spend the element and you have to uh, adapt and change plans. And the elementalist, like, yeah, the elementalist, uh, for some classes, like, it's almost an afterthought. Like, you don't have that many cards that will use the elements, like, maybe one or two in your 12 card decks, something like that. But the elementalists have multiple elements on almost every card. So, if you can set things up right, you can, like, spend all of them and do, like, super powerful turn but at the same time if you if you don't or if you're the other players or the enemies use them before you uh you will do like almost nothing it's very basic like uh two damage uh small attack but like if i could have had my hurt i could poison and stun the enemy and then do more damage and target more enemies and stuff like that so and if you coordinate well with your teammate, you can like make sure that you play slow. So if they play fast, they can infuse the element and on the same turn, you can then use it. So it it really uh, um, make cooperation with your teammates more important. And uh, it takes an element that was... Uh, maybe not so much important and not that fun for other characters really really important and really cool for that faction in in particular and it's the i've done like the the full campaign with uh with my girlfriend it's the only class that we each played that was played like twice because i was having so much fun with it that uh she wanted to to make one uh, a little bit later down the road because the way the campaign works is you create a character at the beginning and uh, at some point they will retire and you have to to change character and they encourage you to to take another class at that time and try different things. But it's the only one that was like uh, played twice. Wow. That's a testament to like both how fun it would be for the person, but also like when you watch somebody else having a ton of fun, it makes you want to do it. I know like Root's a good example of that for me of like when I see somebody really enjoying their game of Roots, I want to play it the next time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, oh, that they're, they look like they're like really having fun with that puzzle over there. I want to do that next time. Like that'd be cool for Gloomhaven. Are you familiar with like the the Timmy, Johnny, Spike thing? Uh, you have to remind me which is which. Yeah, I, I always have to like do that. I was just looking it up too. Well, and it's like the Timmy is like the one that wants like the super, like the super dragon kind of thing, like really mm-hmm. cool, right? It sounds like that's kind of like the elementalist of like yeah, you want to pull it off, like you want to pull off the super cool thing. Yeah, yeah. It. I, I'm not sure if it's the considered the strongest class uh, i know there's a lot of uh discussion on this on board game geek and reddit and uh, i'm not like deep into those I, I just want to discover the class myself and then just play them and 
especially with a co-op games like it, you can scale the difficulty uh, to to suit your experience and you you don't need like the the class to be balanced or to to play the the best one all the time you know sure yeah definitely what's your right. number three so my number three um so there are a few games that are just kind of these classic asymmetric when i tell you like what are the most asymmetric games of all time and i think cosmic encounter is really up there for people the problem is i've never played cosmic encounter so i can't really pick it <laughs> so um <laughs> but what i can do is i can pick something from the same designers so what if you had the same idea that you had these extremely asymmetric factions that break the game in certain ways, but you slap one of the most famous sci-fi IPs on it. You basically get Dune. And so Dune is this game that I don't really like want to go into that much because it's worth just exploring on your own of the negotiation, the betrayal, especially if you are into the Dune IP. You will love this game. But the faction I want to bring up is just bonkers of a win condition. And this is the Benny Gesserit. Basically, at the beginning of the game, they will predict who will win and what turn they think they will win it. And if they are right, that person doesn't win. The Benny Gesserit player wins instead. Yeah, that sounds crazy. Which but is crazy fun. <laughs> insane you will sit here for a two-hour three-hour game and if the benny jesuit like it's one of those monumental moments kind of when you're playing around the table of your you're playing you think it's kind of like one of those like where you start questioning your free will of okay i just won yes you have that rush of i just won and then the benny jesuit player if they can pull it off they're like i got it right so actually i win loser i am the prophet <laughs> <laughs> like what so it's basically just, every time they're helping you you're like are they helping me because yes they want me to win or is it just because they don't want the other person to win hmm yeah and their other power that they can do like throughout the game is to kind of like help decide combat basically like they can make it more like a non-combat situation and so yeah you're you're doing exactly that you're questioning what's going on and it just when it's one another one of those things that's kind of I mentioned it earlier when you when I read Heart of the Wildfire and the powers that it has when I was reading what the Benny Jesuit did and it's one of the win conditions just hey predict who's gonna win if you're right you win you're like no that can't possibly be right and can you Maybe. win like normally too like if you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay yeah it's just one of those things where it's like oh okay you thought the Fremen was gonna win on on this turn? Yeah, the Fremen won on that turn. Done. The Fremen don't win, you win. Just bonkers to me. So yeah, that's my number three. Dunes Benny Jesuit. Yeah, I have like no knowledge of the IP, but I still really want to play this game. I have not read the book, I have not seen the movie, and I enjoy the game. If that's any testament. There you go. That's enough All for right. me. Top two. Top two. And now is the time you won't lose the farm because I'm going to be talking about Spirit Island. 
And my favorite spirit is one of the, well, I'm not sure if it's my favorite, but it's the one I want to talk about today because it's a newer one. It came with the Nature Incarnate expansion that just arrived a couple of months ago. And it, the spirit is called Breath of Darkness Down Your Spine. Okay, the, the name already, I am sold. Yeah, and the artwork is so great. It's like this big, scary shadow. And uh, the lore of it, uh, some dance say that it's like uh, an alternate form of shadows flicker like a flame. Mm-hmm. But like people are too scared to ask if it's true or not. So. <laughs> That's awesome. And, yeah, and... This spirit has uh, an incarnate, so that's a new uh, mechanism that they added with the the latest expansion, where you have like uh, a special presence that you can move around the board, and you will have uh, a special condition to make it uh, even better, like to empower it. And once it's done, it's empowered for the rest of the game. And uh, the gimmick of this spirit is that they will uh, kidnap invaders, and they will... Uh, remove them from the board and instead place them uh, in kind of a darkness void that is outside of the island. And you have like powers that can only target uh, things that are there. So you kind of make them go crazy and uh, downgrade them. So a city will become a town or a town will become an explorer or an explorer will just disappear so you're going around with your incarnate uh kidnapping like lone invader on the island but then every turn you have to uh, pick a growth option uh, like every spirit but each of your growth options will tell you like how many pieces you need to release uh, from your void back into the island where you have presence mm. So you're removing uh, invaders from the from the land, but you will have to put them back at some point if you didn't like destroy them while they were there. But you can also like kidnap tokens or other players' presence. So when you have to to release things, you can release those things instead of releasing invaders. So if you plan accordingly and you you know that like. Some turns you will only be releasing one or two pieces. Some, But when you reclaim your cards, you have to release all that's there. So you have to to have a good sense of long-term planning and like what you're going to do and where you're going to be releasing them. But you can move things around. And kind of like um, the serpent uh, slumbering beneath the island, when oh, yeah. you... you take presence uh, from uh, other spirits into your void it's it's bad because they're they lose presence on the board but uh you can kind of play powers that will give them energy or let them draw more power cards or stuff like that so you remove presence but you give something back oh man i'm just i really want this expansion so (laughs) (laughs) i think it hasn't arrived in, in europe yet yeah, there have been like delays with the the delivery of this one. Well, it's not in Japan either. Like nothing Spirit Island. Yeah, nothing. Oh, really? Yeah. That's sad. It's such a great game. Ah, uh, man. 
and you know what? It's such a great game that we're actually staying with the same game for my number two. Oh, uh, it is my favorite faction in Spirit Island. Um, and I don't think I'm alone in this one. I think it's a decently popular one. Like, I'm not going to I'm not going to say like, um, oh, man, what is the shadows flicker like flames or anything like that or one of the fear ones? Mm-hmm. My my favorite one is uh, Thunder Speaker. Oh yeah, Thunder Speaker is so I think just the combination of the lore, which is that like it was trapped in a canyon by another spirit, and then the Dahan freed her. So she is like she has like bound herself to always help the Dahan, and so basically in this it is an extremely powerful spirit that leads armies of dahan and you wreak mm-hmm. havoc with these dahan it is one of the few spirits in which you can really do like very concentrated damage in multiple spots without like huge repercussions like we talked about like the heart of the wildfire which is like this very offensive spirit earlier but you're causing blight to the land like thunder speaker is so good and I think it really meshes with the lore that comes behind it, where she's only called upon in times of great need mm-hmm. for the Dahan. And, and you so need the Dahan fact in the lands that you you want to use your power with. Right. They like they are needing each other. And it is so cool, especially when you can use Thunder Speaker with um another spirit that has the Han powers, like it helps move or helps give the Han special abilities, like things like that. When you can use those together, it is an incredible team structure that is real makes for a really fun Spirit Island game. Um, mm-hmm. I, it sounds like you've the, played this one. Yeah, I've played it a lot. And you're going to love the Nature Incarnate expansion because one of the new spirit like uh, makes all the hand uh, have six health when oh, they have oh my. there and uh, they also have, have innate power so that they attack before the invaders when they ravage uh, so it's like thunder speaker's new best friend i was gonna say that's gonna be like the first one it's gonna be thunder speaker and that spirit Mm-hmm. And Thunder Speaker uh, also has a new aspect. So the aspect is something that uh, was present with Jagged Earth 2 that kind of tweaks a little bit a uh, spirit that was already existing. So you replace uh, maybe uh, an innate power or uh, your special rule with something new. And uh, Thunder Speaker has one uh, where they also get, uh, well, she also get uh, an incarnate, so a special presence. Uh, that you can move mm. around and with the Dahan, and when you do that, it does damage where it arrives, kind of like uh, Art of the Wildfire. And it and also it, mm. changes your uh, starting end of card. So uh, mm. one of your four unique uh, card will be replaced by a, a major or minor power from the, the deck. Oh, okay. This so, sounds yeah. interesting. Oh, man. That's really cool, yeah. Yeah, Thunder Speaker is my go-to um, when I just want to have like a really fun time. I think mm-hmm. so. Now it's like, all right, ah, I need to exit out of the contest at some point. I feel like 
the contest is something <laughs> that's happening on uh, the Board Game Barrage Discord. There's only six of us left at the time of recording, which we can't buy a game for the year. And we also can't trade if it involves shipping. Oh, really? Yeah, that's a new rule for this year. If we have to pay to ship, it counts. You're out. Yeah. Ouch. Because you're paying for the game in, in some mm. way. And so it's early September and you're still in. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Because I'm like lining up trades and and things. And that's why part of the like nice appeal of trading for somebody's pledge because they've already paid for the shipping. Mm-hmm. Oh, loophole. Yeah. <laughs> but let's get to number one. What is the best asymmetric faction in your opinion? All right. It's maybe not the best asymmetric faction, but it's my favorite character from my favorite game. So there was no way I was not going to put him number one. It's Tiger Claw from Guards of Atlantis 2. Uh, so his gimmick is that he's a, a pesky thief. He's like super quick, super elusive, and uh, he can even steal money from uh, other players because when you uh, defeat minions and uh, other heroes, you gain money, which you can use to to level up at the end of the round and you buy new cards, you become more powerful. But Tiger Claw says, no, 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 no. I'm going to take that coin from you and then I'm going to run away and you, there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> And some people find it so annoying that they just refuse to play against this character. But it's kind of a meme uh, in the playtesting community of the of the game that I'm the I'm the Tiger Claw guy. Like he's my man, and like the designer always says, not everybody has to love every character, but as long as one person loves that character, he's staying. And so basically, I'm the reason Tiger Claw is still in the game, I think. <laughs> hey, everybody's got to have their hero. You are the hero of the hero. <laughs> Does that make you the superhero? Uh, I think I would. that would make me a supervillain. Oh. <laughs> I think he's more considered a villain than a hero. <laughs> oh. But yeah, he's so fun to play. And people don't realize that he's actually quite uh, brittle. So if you put a little bit of pressure on him, maybe you won't kill him because he has like ways to to dodge attacks and stuff like that. But he's going to be running for his life the whole round. So he seems like all powerful. But as soon as you kind of push back, he, he needs to retreat or, or he will die. And it's so does, so does your game group kind of understand this at this point? It's like you choose Tiger Call and they're like, all right. Sam's doing Sam's Tiger Claw again. This is what we need to do. Yeah, kind of. But then they and have to plan around you and your annoyance in a different way. Yeah, it kind of is. And it it really highlights uh one of the things that um the designer says when we bring feedback to the game when we're playtesting new characters is like before you can really uh know how powerful someone is. You have to play against them, but you also have to play has them so that you know what they can do, but also how to how to counter them appropriately. Because mm. from the the outside, it might look super powerful, but like when you're 
piloting that character, you know that like it only works because the other players are not doing something specific that they could do to really mess you around. And in order to know how to mess around with your character, the, the best way to do it is to play them yourself, I think. For sure. And honestly, that is such a good segue into my number one, because I think it is probably the most annoying character of one of the most popular asymmetric games. We've already talked about it for me once, for you once. It is Root. What character is probably the most annoying one? Oh, no. Seriously? <laughs> That was an evil laugh, but yep. Yep. My number the one vagabond. is the Vagabond. Ah. All right. I'm out. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> now, here, hold on. Let me defend this because I think that although the Vagabond is incredibly annoying, it is one of the most just ingenious designs into an, a coin game that there has been and is the reason that i am putting it as number one because it is basically like you are playing your own rpg while everybody else is running around having their you know fancy wars and doing all the things like oh yeah okay marquis the cat is going after the airy dynasty oh yeah they hate each other then you've got the you got the terrorists going over here or maybe you have the capitalistic otters going on over here or whatever maybe you got your your lizard cults or whatever your spy network that you were talking about earlier i'm just gonna go around i'm gonna do some quests i'm gonna boop some people on the head a couple times uh you know i'm gonna craft some things i'm just gonna go into the forest a couple times you know i'm just doing my own thing you guys have your war i'm just doing it and it is the weirdest addition to a game but i think it is so wholly unique and it is a testament of how weird and how out there and how kind of ingenious it is that so many people hate this thing. Mm-hmm. Of like, well, what game is it that you're just like so almost universally hear from people how annoying the thing is? Like, no, if you have somebody has to hit the the vagabond or else the vagabond's gonna win. But I don't want to take my turn and do it. Yeah, that's the thing though, is like Every other factions, when you go and stop them from winning, at least you're getting something in return. If you can destroy their pieces, you get a little a point here or, or there. But if you go hit the Vagabond, all you did is stop the Vagabond and wasted your turn. And it, that's the one thing that I find annoying with, with them. It's not like that they're playing their own game and that they're doing something really different. It's just that in order to stop them, I'm also stopping myself. And that, that's the, the thing that I, I don't appreciate. And you know what? And honestly, that is such a fair point. But maybe it's just the mad scientist part of me that's just like, that also was kind of what makes it special in a way. Of It is throwing a wrench into other people's plans in a way that really they have to, are they are sacrificing so much to stop you. So 
it requires that of the vagabond to play a negotiation game with Root that for a lot of the game is not a negotiation game. I have found just when I play as the vagabond, I have more table talk. I have more, um, there is more, not camaraderie, but I am noticing the different aspects of the game more when I am playing Mm -hmm. as the vagabond. And I'm appreciating each facet of what everybody is doing. And I think that when somebody new to Root is playing as the Vagabond, I think it is incredibly annoying. And it's probably annoying for them too. But when you're playing with people who have played Root a couple, like at least a few times, and then you're like, okay, I know what you as the Otters are trying to do. I know what you as the Airy Dynasty is trying to do. Let me be your ally in your right. quest. It then turns this game into just something a little bit different. Yeah, I guess that's fair. And so I'm not picking it as like the best. I'm not picking it. I mean, like kind of the best, but like I'm not picking it as my favorite faction of any asymmetric game. I just think it is number one for me because it is just so different, but it so works. Mm -hmm. And it makes the game different for the others, too. Yeah, I don't think that there is a faction that changes the entirety of what the game landscape looks like than when the Vagabond is drawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> I'll give you that. I'm not going to agree that it's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but that is our top 10. So you want to go over your top 10. One more time for the audience. All right, so number 10, I have Tally from Guards of Atlantis 2. Number 9, Corvids from Root. Number 8, Spider-Man Miles Morales from Marvel Champion. Seven, I have Fenris from Sight. Number six are the Targaryens from A Game of Thrones, the board game. Number five, I have the Vikings from Imperium Classic. Number four, uh, Gandalf Meddler from Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle-earth. Number three is the Elementalist from Gloomhaven. Number two is Breath of Darkness Down Your Spine from Spirit Island, and for my number one, we're back to Guards of Atlantis 2 with Tiger Claw. All right, and my top 10 is number 10, Japan from Civilization A New Dawn, number nine, the Universities of Jolnar from Twilight Imperium 4th Edition, number eight is Dr. Facilier from Disney Villainous, number seven is the Sun Clan from Rising Sun, number six is Heart of the Wildfire from Spirit Island. Number five is Richard Nixon from Watergate. Number four is Woodland Alliance from Root. Number three is the Benny Gesserit from Dune. Number two is the Thunderspeaker from Spirit Island. And number one is definitely the one that everybody's going to love and nobody's going to comment that it was a terrible decision, especially you, Sam, uh, the Vagabond from Root. Here we go. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for the idea. I think it was awesome. Where can people find you if they are interested in hearing you more? Just search for Board Game Duel on your podcatcher of choice or on Instagram or Facebook. Um, The podcast is in French. Uh, Sorry about that. Uh, But uh, on Instagram, I write uh, mini reviews in French and English, and I post uh, pretty pictures of games I play. So you can follow me there if you don't speak uh, the langue de Molière. 
I feel like you just like did. I think you just did, uh, personified the sorry we are French board game company. <laughs> <laughs> I love that publisher's name. <laughs> it's great, and and you can find us uh, at Board Game Dojo at on uh, on Instagram, on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it at the board at the BG Dojo. And you can find us on YouTube as well. I'll post all the links to those below. Thank you so much for listening to us today. Arigatou gozaimasu. Until next time, jane. Bye.